make sure that it's something that makes sense for you personally. Because if you jump into the most successful cash-based practice in your area, but it turns out it's cutthroat and they're competing and they're stealing each other's clients, that's not a, that's not a place you want to be in. That's not how you grow. That's not how you, you kind of manifest into a better physical therapist and into a better environment for yourself. Find something that, that allows you the opportunity to become better at what you do. Welcome to the Key and Mang audio experience where you're here from two up-and-coming therapists looking to enhance the lives of listeners by addressing health, wealth, lifestyle, and overall growth. Tune in to hear the latest lessons learned on the Key and Mang audio experience. Welcome back to the latest episode of the Key and Mang audio experience. I'm your host, Mang. As always, join me my fellow co-host, Key. Key, what's good? What's up, Mang? How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for fun. Excited for this one. Yeah. I'm excited for this one, too. Today, we got someone who's been mentioned on the pod a couple of times. Probably the biggest UM fan that I know. And it's fitting that he's back in the Miami area because he's part of the crew. Fitting up the Old Bull Athletics Pinecrest location, Dr. Ryan Murphy. Murph, what's good? What's up, Aaron? How you doing, bud? I'm good. I'm good. Can't complain. I want to say, first off, thank you for coming on the pod. And second off, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got to this point right now, where you're at right now? Sure. And first off, thank you guys for having me. I was flattered and honored uh, when Faramir shot me a text uh, to come on the pod. I mean, you've been talking about it for months now, dude. This is great. All right. So my origin story, uh, originally from southeastern Massachusetts, which is where Faramir and I met pretty much in my hometown. Uh, Rainham, Massachusetts, next door to Bridgewater, where we worked. Uh, pretty normal childhood. Went to the local high school, played football, played lacrosse, ended up in Miami, left everything behind. And uh, went to the University of Miami, go Canes, for seven years. Undergrad, ended up staying there for PT school as well. Uh, PT school ended with the onset of the COVID-19 global pandemic. And then I was forced to figure out, okay, what do I do now? How do I get my career started when everything fell apart at the seams? So ended up going back home to Bridgewater, Massachusetts, where Faramang and I met, worked at Physical Therapy U, and uh, ended up back down in Miami at the Old Bull Athletics Pinecrest location, right when they, pretty much right when they opened, actually. We just opened up August 1st. I got down here. First week of June, but after a two-year hiatus, I'm back in Miami, accumulating year eight in South Florida. Uh, that was good. That was, that was a nice, short and sweet. But I think we're going to dive back a little bit before jumping forward to, like, working and how you transition. Um, why UM? Because you have a lot of enthusiasm for UM. And why I think UM? Yep. So here's the funny thing. It was never supposed to be UM. Uh, I got recruited to play football at every school that I applied to, except for the University of Miami. But in high school, I knew that I wanted to be a physical therapist. So I blew my knee up twice, like 2010, 2011. It was like nine months apart. I had a really gnarly right lateral meniscus root tear and a massive like 80% bucket handle tear. So I couldn't bend my knee, period. It was actually stuck at 90 degrees until they forced me to straighten it in the ER, which was, I don't recommend uh, wasn't exactly the most fun experience I've ever had in my entire life. It certainly wasn't the most pleasant. Um, had a really good physical therapist for that initial plan of care. I was out for six or seven months, non-weight bearing for two or three of those months. Uh, when I did it again, it was just kind of a little 
partial fray, basically the last 20% of that meniscus had frayed off. The 80% that was held together with those Teflon sutures luckily stayed together. Um, and then I had a really bad physical therapist for that second plan of care. So I kind of understood the dichotomy of uh, good physical therapy versus bad physical therapy. My naive 15-year-old brain was like, oh, I'm going to save the world from bad physical therapists. I'll be one of the good guys. Uh, and then from there, it was, all right, let's go ahead and figure out the path of being a physical therapist. I liked exercising. I liked all the things that physical therapy, or at least should say good physical therapy encompassed, right? Connecting with people, helping others live a more fulfilling life, things of that nature. So when it came to figuring out PT school, I knew that there was a grad school component to it, right? Because at that point, it had been a doctorate degree for over a decade uh, by the time that I started applying to school. Miami, I happened to tour my sophomore year. This is while I'm still in a knee brace, post-op. My grandmother has a place uh, about an hour and a half north of here in Palm Beach County. So my mom looked at me, was like, hey, let's go on a tour. Let's go on a college tour. And I was like, no, this is not a good idea. I'm still on crutches. This is bad. I absolutely sweat through my shirt on the tour. It was a miserable experience. I hated it. It was humid. It was hot. It rained like three or four times. Um, I was soaking wet by the end of it. I wanted nothing to do with the city of Miami, the University of Miami ever again. Fast forward two years after that, my senior year of high school, I find out Miami's got a pretty good PT program. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll apply. It was the first school that I got into, first time that I heard back. I think it was like December 31st or something like that of my senior year. I heard back, I applied early action, got in, and then from there was, okay, do I want to play football? Do I not want to play football? And I ended up giving football up to come to Miami. So that was actually, I could call it the, uh, the beginning of my villain story, right? Giving up sports to pursue academics in the city of Miami. It kind of sounds counterintuitive, uh, but it ultimately was the best decision that I ever made. It, uh, it led to a path of, of growth and personal change that uh, I don't think would have happened otherwise if I had actually stayed and played football and stuff like that. Do you remember the first time you stepped off the plane and got off on the terminal at, at the Miami International Airport coming from Massachusetts? Are we talking about coming down freshman year or are we talking about like when I decided I was coming? We're talking uh, that freshman year. Freshman year. So, no, I don't because I drove, dude. Oh, 28 hours. Me and my dad, we took the auto train <laughs> uh, from Lorton, Virginia down to – Sanford, Florida. It's like a 17-hour train ride. You put your car on the train, you sleep on it, you wake up the next morning, get your car, and then you just head south from Orlando down. I do remember, I got a pretty funny story about when I realized that uh, I-95 ends because it ends just north of campus and then it joins US-1 and then it just becomes one highway. And I remember driving by the sign that says 95 ends and I looked at my dad and I was like, what does that mean? And he was like, 95 ends, bud. It's, it's, it's over. And I was like, what the hell do you mean? 95 ends. Dude, we've been on 95 for 1,500 miles. It's just done? Like, where does it, where does it go? And he was like, just stops. <laughs> Shocked. I, I could not believe that 95 ends. I've been on the highway for two days at that point. <laughs> I was like, what's happening right here? This is BS. Okay. So, actually, the first time that I did come down. So, when I did, the day that I decided I was coming to Miami was actually the day of the Boston Marathon bombing. So I've got a story about that one because they canceled our flights because they weren't sure if there was going to be some sort of like a 9-11 follow-up terrorist attack. 
and I slept in an auditorium at Miami International on a cot, me and my mom. And that was still to this day, probably my mom's worst flight experience. She talks about it all the time. Remember that time we slept here? I'm like, yeah, well, I remember. I remember that time we slept here. Uh, so that was kind of like my, you know, I guess my first University of Miami experience, my first real one. And then when I actually got here, yeah, no, I remember stepping out of that humidity for sure. I had my um, my first interview there in 2018, November 2018. So it's like winter here in Alaska. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh. Well, t- technically, degrees. buddy, it's winter down there too. Y- yeah. yeah <laughs> different kind of winter. Different, different kind, kind of winter, winter, yes. Yeah. But I stepped out the terminal. It was like 11 a.m., something like that, something some slight it's early i stepped out i feel like i got punched in the throat could not breathe and i was like oh, no I, I can't do this but then you go on the tour you get to meet the people and i was like this is actually really nice once i learn how to breathe i think i could you know stay here so hopefully they... well, it's kind of like drowning yeah, <laughs> yeah. humidity yeah. it's kind of <laughs> like drinking gulps of water every breath you take initially yeah no but by the way that gets worse <laughs> that gets worse yeah. in the summer I can't even imagine. And everyone was dressed in like suits and dresses and stuff, and you see everyone's drenched. And I'm like, this, this, this is this sucks. This no, sucks. that's um, we do that to see who can cut it. Kid, we don't. That's not the reason. It's professional attire. My uh, um, my freshman year moving day, dude. It was 98 degrees, 96 percent humidity. I'll never forget it. I was living on the 11th floor of a 12 story tower, and the line. There were two elevators in the elevator bay. The line was like. I don't know, 50 to 75 people long. So I said, screw it. And I was like, I'm just going to throw my stuff over my shoulder. And I just kept, I made like five or six trips to the car, me and my dad. I think I changed, I showered three times. I changed three or four times. But before I could take my student ID picture, because every time I would get back down the stairs to take my ID picture, I had sweat through my shirt. So I was like, all right, I need, I need to change something here. <laughs> something... I'm gonna I'm gonna go take take three hours. I'm gonna sit in a cold shower. <laughs> I'll get my ID picture by the end of the day. So sure enough, it, it ended up getting done. I guess it takes it takes some getting used to to be down there. It does. I mean, your blood. It, they they talk about that with altitude too, right? The the more you go into and out of it, the, the faster your blood thins out, or the faster that kind of your your body accumulates the more red blood cells. So it's the same idea as you continue to go into and out of the environment, the faster you acclimate to it. So now when I go back home, you know, I'm cold for a little bit, but I'll throw a sweatshirt on. I'm good to go. And then when I come back down, I'm usually still wearing that sweatshirt and then I won't take it off because it just, it's like snaps back. It's close. Can you talk about the good and bad qualities of the PTs you had experience with that made you want to be a PT? I can talk about the good qualities. The guy's name is Brian. He was excellent. And I don't even think the company that we or that he worked for exists anymore. I believe it was called New England Physical Therapy. Um, and I want to say that they merged Bay State actually. But he he was empathetic. He actually cared. Like you could tell that he actually cared. Um, and he knew what my goals were. I think that was actually probably the most important part because my surgeon at that point had told me like you may never play football again. You may never play athletics again. And I'm 14 and a half years old. Like what are you talking about? I can't even drive a car. And you're just going to tell me my athletic career might be over. And he was like, it was the worst tear I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, ah, thanks, Doc. (laughs) That was great. And I remember Brian just kind of looked at me and said, I don't know what your potential 
here is going to be. But we're going to work and do everything that we can to try and get you to where you want to go. So he actually, you know, really took into account what I specifically wanted, even if it wasn't necessarily a realistic possibility at that point in time, he let me know he was going to do everything that he could possibly do for me. And that meant the world, you know, uh, it's one thing that I focus a lot on with my patients. I tell them your goals are my goals. And if we're not working towards those goals, I need you to tell me so that way we can start to make adjustments in our plan of care. Right. And, and I specify our plan of care because at the end of the day, we are collaborating with our patients in order to get them to where they want to be. Right. It's not where we want them. Right. It's where they want to be. They ultimately came to us for a reason. And that was kind of the first initial time where I think somebody actually cared enough to take into account what I wanted. So that was a, that was a big one. And it wasn't really anything like a special technique. You know what I mean? I got the basics. I got uh, Russian stem because I had AMI of my quads and it took me forever to get full knee extension back. I remember it took me months to get full knee extension back. Uh, I didn't really get a ton of return to sport and return to run. A lot of that came on my own accord and it, it might actually be the reason why I re-injured myself at that point in time too. Um, I was a four, six runner and I remember I ran like a five, one or five, two. And my coach clocked me, looked at me, he's like, what the hell's the matter with you? I'm like, what are you talking about? And that night I my knee swelled up to the size of a grapefruit. I had to get a drink. So like, that's when I figured out like, Oh, okay. Something bad is happening. Now the bad qualities of the PT, I don't even remember her name, which tell him, right? I remember Brian's name, but I don't remember the girl that followed up. She uh, barely talked to me, uh, gave me one or two exercises every few minutes, didn't spend any time getting to know me, didn't spend any time trying to understand my situation. I don't think she ever really asked me what my goals were. I don't think she ever really spent time on a legitimate plan of care that was tailored to what I needed to get done. Like I, I knew what my exercises were. I'd already done that. I've been doing it at that point for eight months, all of, all of my home exercises and kind of like getting back into squatting, getting back into deadlifting, you know, knee extensions, hamstring curls, the, the basics that you could get in a facility. And I, I got to the point where I was so frustrated with the care that I was experiencing that I made the decision to stop going. Like I checked in with Brian. I called him because at that point he'd been promoted to the regional manager. And I said, like, hey, I'm not, I'm not happy with what I'm getting here. This is actually really frustrating. I'm trying to get back to, to fight for a starting position at the beginning of the season right now. Can I just go ahead and do the exercises that you and I had been doing towards the end of my plan of care? And he said, yes. And we need to do something about the fact that you're not happy about it. And I was like, yeah agree with that i don't want anybody else to experience the stuff that i experienced like i distinctly remember i asked her how her day was and she said good and she walked away i was like oh, okay sick i'm like i'm getting dropped off by my mom there's no reason that i should have been the one that was initiating a conversation as a junior in high school so that like, to this day infuriates me like it's one of those look makes me sick because i would never do that um, how do you feel like as you've now gotten some years under your belt, how has your communication style with your patients evolved or changed since when you first came out to, to now? I think it's become kind of more succinct and to the point 
Um, I'm a talker. If you couldn't tell, I can elaborate and go on a tangent on literally any subject, regardless of what my knowledge base in it is. I'll make things up on the spot. That's what I do. Uh, but I realized kind of over time when it came to my patients that they didn't care about what reciprocal intervention was necessarily. So I would like kind of over explain things and over complicate things. And this is actually a shout out to Dr. Zach Baker at Rehab to Perform. One of the things that he me on my first clinical rotation, I remember he was like, you're over explaining things. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, isn't this cool stuff? Like, don't people want to know about these? And he was like, not all the time. Consider that you're the one in PT school. They're here for physical therapy. There's a difference. All right, fair. And if you ask my girlfriend, she'll tell you that I'm an over explainer to my core. She sits there all the time and she'll tell me like, oh, my God. Just stop. Stop. You're explaining again. Yeah, that's what I do. So my communication style has changed in the sense that I no longer talk as much. And I also try to do a lot of listening. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily something that's changed. That's more something that I think I've tried to refine or pick up on little clues, right? Listening a bit more effectively, maybe listening to something that I might have missed the first time around two years ago. You know what I mean? So, I mean, listening and speaking, or they kind of go hand in hand. You need to be ordered and you need to listen in order to then communicate effectively across whatever spectrum you're communicating across. So if somebody tells me that they want to go ahead and get back to skiing. Okay, good. But we're in the middle of football season and they also want to get back into football season. I have to keep that idea about getting back to skiing in the back of my mind. Right, because football and skiing are transferable, but they're not the same. Little things like that. So I guess picking up on on minor details has I'm, I'm going to say become more fine tuned. What are some of the challenges you experience with communicating with your patients? It depends. Uh, uh, that's a great question, Kay. What? So here's an example. People that talk. Right. Uh, when I was at physical therapy, you. I had a 15 year old basketball player who I could not get to utter a single word. He got on the table and I get a basketball game. Apparently I'm like, I'm trying to get more information out of him to try and help him. You know, oh, you got a basketball game tonight, ankles bugging you, where does it hurt? He didn't even tell me where it hurt. Like he just would not communicate with me. And I remember looking at him and being like, dude, I can't help you if you don't talk to me. And he was like, all right, uh, okay. So I did what I thought was best. You know what I mean? Like at that point, I'm like, I'm basically shooting blind. I'm like, okay, well, we're just going to go ahead and we're going to work on your ankle. See if I can get it to feel better. Cause I could tell when things hurt, you know what I mean? Like that was the way that I was able to communicate with them was I could tell with the grimace, like, all right, that probably doesn't feel good. Like, that's just, that's not your face. <laughs> okay. Uh, as far as like the average client, I think it's probably the one thing that I do really well. Is, is kind of being able to transfer over to each individual and, and kind of communicate with them at an individual level. Cause it's also, it's like plans of care. You don't want to be a cookie cutter communicator. You are, excuse me. Yeah. Cookie cutter communicator. You want to be an individualist when it comes to how you communicate with your clientele and with your patients, because at the end of the day, that's your initial connection with people, you know? So I guess, especially in a city like Miami being a white boy from Southeastern Massachusetts, right? Where I'm coming to South Florida, where it's the gateway to the Americas. 
you know, I have a lot of people from South America. I've got a lot of people from the Caribbean. Uh, I got a lot of people just from the South in general, right? It's different cultures and it's a melting pot of different cultures. So I guess you could say one of the, the bigger challenges that I had early when I was down here in Miami in PT school was communicating and relating to people to a certain degree. Uh, I think that if you can relate to somebody uh, or make them laugh, you pretty much connected with them. But if you are so different on opposite ends of the spectrum, as far as personality, upbringing, culturally, then that can be hard, right? To a certain degree. But even then, I don't think that's ever really been something that has bothered me. You know what I mean? Like, I, I want to learn everything about you the first time that I meet you. If you're from Trinidad, I know nothing about Trinidad. Tell me all about Trinidad. You know, have you ever heard of Carnival? Oh, okay. No, explain that to me. Oh, that's one of your goals? You want to get ready to go back to Carnival? Okay, because your knee hurts. All right, great. Let's break it down. Let's go. So, like, it's, it's little things like that, you know? It's, uh, I get a lot of that from my parents, though. My parents made me talk to everybody as a kid. Absolutely everybody. And uh, as I keep harping on, I'm a talker. That's <laughs> what I do. I don't well, know I if that answered your question, Key. That I, I was a really long-winded answer of getting around that. <laughs> but I, I think it... It does a it explain I think it did answer the question. And I think it okay. also goes to show the 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 art of PT and how complex it can be and how one experience can make somebody's like make someone enjoy coming in and like feeling great about themselves and where they're going to head to, or it could just totally derail them and have them be like, Yeah, I don't wanna do this and, and imagine if you hadn't been like you hadn't called brian back and been like hey i'm not happy like who knows where that could have led to you know what i mean yeah so I mean, so i think go ahead, go ahead i was just gonna mention it's funny because the uh when i think about physical therapy i don't necessarily think of it as a healthcare professional all the time i kind of think of it as a customer service profession like first and foremost where people forward front-facing individuals who also happen to help you achieve your physical goals. And I've every job that I'd ever had prior to being a PT, and I, I mean, it was probably eight of them, was in a customer service role. You learn how to deal with people and you learn how to treat people the right way working in customer service. You know, especially like, we look at airline attendants. I will never yell at somebody who's standing at a desk for a company. Never in a million years. I would rather sit there and be quiet and yell at the person yelling at them than get upset about something, you know, oh, the flight got canceled. Well, the person standing at the desk had nothing to do with that. If they didn't have a pilot, they don't fly the plane. Right? That actually happened on that trip uh, that Miami. Where I slept in the auditorium, my mom was like, "I can't." How the flight? Got I look, mom. There was a terrorist attack. That's <laughs> like, okay. The flight got canceled. We're gonna be all right. There's no hotels, and that's okay. They have a cop force. We'll be fine. They're doing their best. They also don't want to be here. It's one o'clock. So I think uh, kind of reframing our mindset as also being doctors of physical therapy, but also you know understanding that we are customer facing can help with that communication ability as well. When you first graduated PT school in the pandemic, what type of setting and job were you looking for? And did that change to 
now? I was looking for anything to a certain degree. Now, the, the one thing that I really didn't want to be in was in an acute care setting. And that had to do with the fact that at that point in time, my dad had just recently gotten diagnosed with brain cancer. So I knew that if I was working in a hospital, my chances and my ability to see him were going to be significantly decreased because at that point, he was pretty much quarantining from the rest of the world uh, because of chemo and radiation. And he ended up going through multiple brain surgeries. I knew that I wasn't going to be the reason that he might get sick again or sicker. So that kind of took out acute care. I knew that I wasn't going to be able to finagle that and, and also maintain my abilities to be and see, be with and see my family. I really wanted like an outpatient ortho sports setting that had, you know, a lot of college students, uh, college athletes, a fair amount of high school athletes. That's a setting that I love working in, uh, especially having been the injured high school athlete before and having those aspirations to play in college and kind of knowing what it takes to, to get the looks to get there. I loved working that working in that setting. And I applied to five or six different positions in the Palm Beach County area in Florida. I was actually planning on staying in Florida. Um, I had just passed boards. Actually, had I even taken them yet? I either I was either about to take them or had just taken them. And in like the week leading up to finding out if I had passed the NPTE, I was on Indeed.com 12 hours a day you know, in multiple regions of the country trying to figure out where I could work. And I was doing those job interviews and every single one was, you know, if it was that kind of outpatient ortho sports setting, like there's an Exos up in Palm Beach that I applied for that could only offer me part-time job. And I was like, okay, well, part-time job doesn't offer benefits. I need health insurance. This isn't exactly going to work for me. And everything was like, we'd love to have you full time. We can't afford it right now because of everything with the kind of with the economy, with uh, the pandemic happening right now, we're going to have to go ahead and offer you a part time position that could evolve into a full time role in a few months. I didn't have a few months to wait. So I started looking back home and I was on page 13 of a Google search. Bridgewater, Massachusetts, physical therapy. No, not Bridgewater, Massachusetts. I Googled Plymouth County. I looked at Plymouth County, Massachusetts, physical therapy, and I was on page 13. And I believe it was option four, physical therapy, you, Bridgewater, Massachusetts. I was like, well, that wasn't there when I was in high school. What's that? I clicked on it and my friend's mom popped up first page, Julie Callis. That's strange. I thought Julie worked in Easton. So I texted my friend, Callis, and I said, does your mom work at this place in Bridgewater and are they hiring? And Julie called me the next day. Hi, sweetie. How are you? Hope you're doing well. So you're looking for a job, huh? And I was like, Julie, I would do anything for a job. <laughs> I was like, I need to make some money. I'm dying down here. And she was like, let me talk to Kelly. It'll be okay. Kelly ended up being the, the owner and founder of PTU. I legitimately got a job on a whim. Kelly, I found out at that later, a few months later, Kelly wasn't hiring. But happens to see, okay, this is an opportunity where I can take a step back from treating and focus on the administrative and business side of things. And I remember, I think it was either Donna or uh, Julie that told me that Fairmate. They're like, oh, yeah, Kelly treated all the way up until she hired you. I was like, oh, <laughs> that's pretty cool, actually. So I ended up happening into a job, Key. I didn't necessarily get my ideal case scenario, but PTU was everything that I could have hoped for and more given 
the circumstances surrounding the job market at that point in time and healthcare in general. So then with, as you spent your years back home and I got there September, 2021 and got to watch you learn from you and, and work with you and the rest of the crew had a great time. Still have a great time. Missed you guys all the time. But mm-hmm. as you start to think about like the move back to Miami and that opportunity arising, what were the thoughts going through your head with debating whether you should stay at PCU versus chasing something else and back in Florida? So I'll tell you what the actual driving force was. When when I ended up going back home, the real reason why I started looking at home because my dad at that point in time was preparing for his first brain surgery. So I was like, all right, I want to be near this. I knew there wasn't going to be much of an opportunity. We didn't know what stage cancer it was. They were going in to try and take as much of it out, explore what the kind of what the stage was and figure things out uh, medically. So when I actually got the job, it was okay, now am I actually going to leave Florida? Fast forward, I left Florida, ended up back home. And when it came to, do I look back in Florida? Because at Fairman, you know about Bella, my girlfriend of five years. uh, This is our apartment behind me, not my apartment. Uh, Do we go ahead, do we do the long distance thing? We ended up going ahead and making the long distance thing work carefully is the the answer that I always tell people. How'd that work? Carefully is the answer there. Uh, and then we ultimately decided like, okay, at some point, one of us is going to move because we can't necessarily do 1500 miles of distance forever. And she came up North, we were getting dinner with my dad and my dad looked at us and he was like, so when are you guys moving in together? Right. When are you moving back to Florida? And I was like, dude, what are you talking about? (laughs) I came back to be here with you while you go through all these treatments. And he got pissed. He actually got upset. And he was like, don't you dare use me as an excuse to hold back on an opportunity should it ever present itself. He was like, this, what you guys have is too important. So do not dare use me as an excuse to put your life on hold. So the ultimate decision of when do I go back came from my dad because then Katie called me in February. That conversation happened in November said, hey, I have a legitimate opportunity for you. When you come back down to Florida, let's get coffee. And that night, uh, I got the job. So that's how it happened. It wasn't necessarily a conscious decision. It was an opportunity that presented itself, put me in the right spot to be with my girlfriend of, you know, five years is not an insignificant amount of time. This is a long-term deal here. And uh, ultimately, with my dad's blessing, that was kind of really what drove me back. Shouldn't even say drove me back. It allowed me the opportunity to come back, to pursue a different opportunity. I'm not going to say a better opportunity, but definitely a different opportunity that has allowed me to grow significantly. You know, especially you compare Miami to Bridgewater. (laughs) It's a different beast. Were there any doubts you had about making that transition back to Florida? Massive doubts. Huge doubts. Um, this was Old Bull's first expansion. This is their first satellite site away from the original Coral Gables location. And Katie had figured it out, you know, when she kind of started her own business and then merged with Old Bull. Frankie had figured it out when he started Old Bull, I believe now it was seven years ago. I had never started the business. I had never had to organically grow 
clientele base. I've never had to, I'm going to say form a community because that's really what it is at the end of the day. We're, we're trying to ultimately form a community around Old Bull Pinecrest, the way that they've been able to foster one at the Gables location. We have, I believe it's five or six strength coaches and PTs at the Coral Gables location. And there's three of us in Pinecrest. And then the other two people are new grads, uh, Dr. Audrey Lugo and then Dr. Mitchell Tanner. And I'm sitting there, you know, the oldest guy in the room with the most kind of practice experience, like, holy crap. Did I make the right call? Like, <laughs> am I going to be able to swing this? Can I handle this? And I still don't know if I can. <laughs> in short, I'm still working at it every day. You know what I mean? Uh, do I still have doubts sometimes about my own abilities? Absolutely. I believe they dubbed that imposter syndrome, right? I call it a chip on the shoulder. I think it keeps me young, keeps me humble, keeps me hungry too. So I think that transitioning back here has forced me significantly out of my comfort zone because I'm used to kind of having a traditional PT experience. Patients come to you, right? Somebody else handles it. There's a constant referral source. The setting that we're now working in, it's not necessarily a constant referral source. You know, we've had to go out and find people who wanted a setting like us. We had to go out and kind of demonstrate the value of what we have to offer. And we've also had to really put ourselves out there and say like, Hey, we're new to the area. Come on by. <laughs> you know, I actually sit up front and I just wave at people. If I don't have any, uh, any patients or if I don't have work to do, I wave at people all the time, which in Miami, you don't wave at people, right? People cross the street. If you wave at them, like, I don't want to talk to you. I don't know what you're waving at me for, but I don't want to talk to you. And uh, I sit in the window and I just wave at people and they wave back and they laugh and they look at me funny. And then uh, some people walk in and some people want to learn about it. And, oh, okay, cool. Uh, let's go ahead. Let's set you up for an evaluation. Let's take care of that. that nagging knee pain, the nagging shoulder pain. Oh, your mom's, your mom's got a hip issue. Go ahead and bring her in too. So it's been fun. It's been fun getting out of my comfort zone. What is stepping out of your comfort zone? Because I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with, like stepping out of their comfort zone or imposter syndrome. What has that allowed you to accomplish that you might not have thought would have been possible otherwise? I think it's made me, I'm going to say, be a bit more entrepreneurial. I don't know if that's necessarily the right way of saying it, but while I am still an employee of Old Bull, there is a constant growth mindset surrounding not only the company, but the clinicians as individuals. Because we're not necessarily, you know, being referred patients from doctors. We're not being necessarily referred patients from insurance companies because we're on their list. You know what I mean? Uh, and ultimately, we don't even take insurance. And having to kind of learn the art of the sale in a way has been... I'm not even going to say challenging. I think it's been fun because selling physical therapy, I think that's the worst thing that we do as a profession and selling, not in the sense of, Oh, buy this selling in the sense of buy into this because you have to really demonstrate the value of what you can accomplish with an individual in a certain period of time. Entrepreneurial. That's really the answer there. It, for, it forced me to have to learn how to grow a business. It forced me to have to learn how to demonstrate and articulate kind of the magic of what physical therapy could be.
Of course. Um, when you say the magic of physical therapy, what, how would you describe what physical therapy can do for, for somebody? So I guess let's talk about what it is in the traditional sense, right? What is, you know, the vast majority of society, let's talk about the bell curve, the top of the bell curve. When they think of physical therapy, what do they think of? I got hurt. My doctor told me I need an x-ray. The x-ray came back negative. He said, go to physical therapy. You have X, Y, Z diagnosis. We get them. We tell them, yep, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a bunch of stim. We're going to rub your shoulders. We're going to make you feel good. We're going to give you some light exercises with a TheraBand, and we're going to go ahead. We're going to get you out of here in about four to six weeks. And you got to do these exercises once a day, three to five times a week. And that's not necessarily what physical therapy is, right? But those are the experiences that people continue to have. So when they walk into a place like Old Bull that looks like a gym, squat racks, kettlebells, dumbbells flying all over the place, me and all my coworkers lifting heavy things. And they go, so what do you guys do? And they're like, oh, we're a physical therapy clinic. And they look at me and I'm not wearing any sleeves. And they're like, okay. And they walk out. It's like, no, no, no. See, this is what physical therapy could be, right? This is the experience that you had previously, right? I'm not trying to, you know, pretend that I'm a physical therapist. I am a physical therapist. And this is our brand of physical therapy, right? You want to achieve your fitness goals? Great. We can help you with that. You want to get rid of that nagging pain that you've got? Great. We can help you with that. You want to go ahead and get stronger? You want to be able to squat 400 pounds, bench 300, deadlift 500? Great. We can help you with that too. And we can help you move better, right? I think that demonstrating what our abilities actually are to a not only at the individual level but to once that individual from word of mouth tells their friends and their family can really change the entire mindset that society has surrounding physical therapy and what we can and can't do with our abilities so the magic of pt isn't necessarily oh i'm going to make you feel better the magic of pt is i can make you feel better help you perform better and ultimately help you achieve things that you didn't think you could do anymore how do you get patients to or clients to buy into that after having a bad experience well it's easy to show people how we're different because you walk in it doesn't look like any pt clinic you've ever seen uh we you walk in we have actually in pinecrest we have multiple forms of making coffee we have uh breville barista pro uh we have a cafetera which is right there right a little uh, it's a, a mocha pot and they'll call it sometimes too but in, uh, in spanish it's called the cafetera we make cuban coffee pretty much daily uh we've got you know a bunch of merch up front too and then you walk in and we've got 15 yards of this bright red turf we have these two big glowing neon bulls that you can see from the street. And then we also have these two large red LEDs that make the whole place glow red when the lights are out. So it, it's, you know, it's very easy to say like, okay, why, why do you guys look like kind of something from Dante's Inferno? Well, welcome to the dungeon. Like this is what we do here. <laughs> you know, A lot of the times too, when we get people for an evaluation, we get them in the bag and now, you know, we sit down, hey, when I'm, I want to have a conversation. Tell me about the experiences that you had previously. Tell me about the things that you want to accomplish. And then I'll talk to you about what I want to do in order to get you to where you want to be. So making people feel comfortable, this goes back to communication, right? The thing that we keep talking about. You got to listen. 
once you listen, it doesn't come back to regurgitating the information that you listen to. It comes back to, okay, I took that information. I'm going to synthesize something and here you go. Here's your plan of care. Here's how we're going to get you better. And then showing people, okay, we are in fact different. Some people come in and they're like, you know, can I get some stem? Can I get some ultrasound? And be like, I don't even have those machines. Well, how are you going to help me? Cool. I've got three exercises that we're going to do and it's going to improve your right ankle range of motion within the next 30 minutes. Done. You know, that's value right there. Actually showing people an improvement in function. Test retest is one of the greatest things that you can ever do. Having somebody try to touch their toes, they can't even get, you know, really past their knees. Then all of a sudden they can get down to their ankles in less than an hour. That's value. Right. And that's just the taste of it. I tell people all the time, like today, I'm not even going to be able to scratch the surface of the things that you're going to be capable of in the next, you know, four weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks, whatever it may be. So showing people that their own capabilities can improve. And then as their capabilities start to improve, if they're consistent kind of with being on time and with showing up at their, their, their appointment and with their home exercises, you know, that stuff holds a lot of weight because then it's something tangible. You can hold on to that. That's how you create the buying. At least that's how we've been able to create a buying. I had a client of mine was my, my first client here down here, actually uh, in Miami triathlon training and cycling and running in general is huge. Everything's flat. We don't have a lot of Hills to combat with, which is nice. And I remember him telling me like, you know, I'm getting ready for cycling season. This was a man who hadn't squatted, hadn't deadlifted in, I think it was 15 years. And he'd been avoiding them because he was worried about getting hurt. And we started to break through his patterns. And after the first two weeks, you know, we were able to get a barbell on his back for the first time in 15 years. And his squat wasn't pretty. It wasn't very deep. But he's now able to squat. I think we hit 185 for two in 12 weeks. So we're talking getting rid of a decade and a half of poor movement patterns and faulty knowledge to a certain degree in a pretty short period of time in three months. So if you can demonstrate that, but then also it's transferring over to his activity. He keeps telling me, he's like, dude, my power band, when it comes to cycling, he's like my top end speed, I can maintain that speed significantly high, for significantly longer than I used to be able to, you know, my wattage is I'm able to maintain a higher peak wattage than I was for the last 15 seasons. Like, there you go. So now that's a guy who measures a lot of his stuff, right? He's got a cycling computer that tells him his, his, uh, his power output, stuff like that. In order to get that to transition over to somebody who wants to be able to pick up their grandkids. Okay, well, does it hurt when you pick up your grandkids anymore, right? If they can answer that question and say, no, it doesn't hurt to pick up their, my grandkids, there you go. There's value in that too. So it just comes down to tailoring it to that individual. Where do they see the value? Because why, why are they supposed to value? You know, how do you get that buy-in from them at, a, at an individual level? If it's something that's it's headed towards their goals, they're going to buy in. So when you break all that down for somebody who's coming into OBO for the first time, and let's say, wonderful delivery, you've addressed all their concerns, you've addressed all their problems, you've told them how you're going to accomplish their goals, and they say no. How do you feel, how do you personally feel when they say no, and how do you bounce back if it makes you feel some type of way? I mean, it definitely, it's interesting. So I tell people all the time, and actually I usually lead with this. If at the end of the session, you don't feel like I've demonstrated value, don't come back. I don't want you to waste money on something that you're not going to see value in. I would much rather you do something that you see value in 
and that you spend your money on something that makes sense for you financially and personally. I say, you're not going to hurt my feelings. This is my job at the end of the day. This is what I have to do. And does it hurt to a certain degree for people to be like, no, nah, it's okay. Honestly, what usually happens is if people aren't going to come back, they'll just ghost us. You know what I mean? A lot of people don't actually have the gall to sit there and be like, I don't think this is for me. Most people just don't return phone calls, don't return text messages, emails, stuff like that. That's the part that bugs me. I would much rather have somebody just tell me to my face, you know what? I think I'm going to go a different direction. I've had a few people tell me that and I've respected them wholeheartedly. At the end of the day, it's communication. Communicate with me that you're not interested. Great. Hey, my door is open. If you ever need me again, go ahead. Here's my phone number. Give me a call if you need something. Right. It's, it's, the lack of communication, I think, the where people just kind of, you know, pander off in the distance. That's the part that actually bothers me. Anybody who decides to do what makes the most sense for them in that moment will never bother me. The people that lie about it to my face, that bothers me. So then if, let's say, I guess I'm just more, you talked about like entrepreneurial and like you learned to be more entrepreneurial. And I'm so bad like, at it too. I'm so bad at it. <laughs> All right, dive into that. Okay, dive into that. Why? Why do you think you're bad at it? I hate asking for payment for things that I do. I hate it. I hate it. It is my least favorite conversation in the entire world, especially too, because so coming from a traditional PT perspective, I didn't have to ask for payment. I didn't have to handle any of that. I had a front desk staff that had to deal with it and that would take the brunt of all the you know, disgruntled customers and, oh, why did you charge me this much? Why? Now, the nice thing is that we don't have to deal with the insurance aspect of it. It's a flat rate. Here's our rate for a single session. Here's a 10-pack. Here's a 20-pack. Here's a 40-pack. Done deal, right? That simple. And if you purchase it, good. You've got your visits. We're good to go. So that being said, at the end of you know, my first session with people, I'm like, so here's our rates. And then a lot of people sit there and look at us and go, okay, I'm going to have to see what makes the most sense. And I'm like, hundred percent. I want you to do what makes sense the most for you financially. What makes the most sense for you financially? I don't want to be the reason that somebody can't afford to put groceries on the table. I've actually, I, I told a, a lady of mine, she wanted me to see her six-year-old son for kind of just like a, a general hypermobility. He was a little bit discoordinated. And I remember telling her, be like, you're a single mom of a six-year-old boy who's about to start school again. I said, take that money and get him care at school. If that's what needs to happen. I said, don't, don't stress about me. I said, I'll be here. Right. And if you need assistance, my advice is free. But do what you need to do. I turned her away. <laughs> you know, that directly affected my ability to pay my rent. But I turned her away. So I don't know if that's necessarily a product of me being entrepreneurial or not entrepreneurial, right? But I think I also know kind of when it comes to asking for payment versus not asking for payment. You know, I would rather you have a good experience and almost forget versus, you know, being money hungry. Because that's one thing that I'm not. I'm not money hungry. Uh, I want you to do what makes the most sense for you financially and also what makes the most sense for your family. So that's kind of where the art of the sale comes into, right? I'll tell people all the time, like, my, here's my professional opinion. 
10 pack, 20 pack, 40 pack for whatever it is that you're dealing with from an ailment perspective, whatever your goals are physically, if you've got performance in the, on the mind, you know, we're not going to be able to achieve a high level of performance in 10 visits, right? Here professionally, where I would tell you go. That being said, I need you to do what makes the most sense for you. You know, so I'm not good at selling myself. <laughs> I'd rather give you, I'd rather you have me for free. <laughs> what things are you doing to improve upon the like selling mindset and then just like developing that entrepreneurial mindset? Ask a lot of questions. It's one thing that I think I'm pretty good at is asking questions. So I talk to all of our clinicians. Hey, what are some, some tips and tricks that you've got for kind of nailing the sale? Things like that. What are some tips and tricks that you've got for uh, providing greater value so that way people, so that way you don't have to sell as hard. You know what I mean? Because that's the ultimate goal there is that you don't have to sit there and badger people to buy into what you're doing monetarily, but then also kind of physically and emotionally. If you can provide the ultimate level of value to where money doesn't matter for what you're offering. That's the real, that's the cool thing. Uh, Dr. Mitchell Tanner, one of my coworkers, phenomenal salesman, also a phenomenal coach and a phenomenal physical therapist. So he's really good at demonstrating value early. Uh, and so is Dr. Audrey Lugo, right? Audrey was a pre-professional ballerina. And when she gets people who come in who are dancers, I know exactly what you've got going on. I dealt with the same thing myself. I find myself to be in this kind of awkward limbo where I wasn't, I don't really have a niche. I was, I've been explaining this to a lot of people uh, and to my coworkers. I was like, I think my niche is just helping people get out of pain, you know? So I think that you, if you can sell into a niche, it's a lot easier. And I think kind of trying to almost develop my niche is, going to help me ultimately but it also might not so it's nice to kind of plug and play different schemes and different ideas uh as to how to be a better kind of pt salesman not just a a guy who's trying to get a paycheck here but how to sell the actual profession and how to sell the actual product that we're offering what do you think the future of pt looks like is it more? Is it more like this kind of model? You're talking or like cash based versus insurance gonna, based. Yeah, or like telehealth, or you think you know what I mean? I don't know, and uh, the reason I don't know is because I have heard arguments for all sides. I think that with the Medicare cuts that are continuing to happen, PT at a mill clinic level will no longer be sustainable at some point in time because Medicare is the best uh, payer out there, right? It's a matter of is it workers' comp and then Medicare. But either way, you know, you're going to have to see more and more people in those mill clinic settings in order to keep the business afloat, in order to pay your rent at the company, and then also to pay your workers. Now, if the cuts keep happening, that also means that paying your employees, you're going to end up paying them less. So in a setting where your fee is set, that also means that to a certain degree, salary is set and you get to work for whatever it is you get. I could see that creating 
competition in the marketplace and also kind of having people or I should say uh, driving competition to, to make more consistent care, more uh, better care, a lot more common. But I know that rehab to perform as a hybrid where it's kind of cash based and insurance based. We are, you know, not insurance based. And I could see where those two settings have the ability to coexist. I don't know if there is a right answer between one or the other. And I also think that has a lot to do with the socioeconomics of the area that you're in. If you're in an area where people can afford to not use their insurance or if people don't need to use their insurance, great. Then a non-insurance-based clinic makes a lot of sense. But if you're in a, uh, an area where socioeconomically people are reliant on their health insurance because they have other finances to handle, then you probably wouldn't be, have a successful cash-based clinic there. So as far as the kind of the future, I think ultimately it's a hybrid of everything. Can make an argument that it looks very similar to what we currently have. But I don't think that the, the high volume clinics are going to be sustainable anymore because I think that burnout at a PT level is going to skyrocket, assuming reimbursement continues to go down. Reimbursement continues to go down. And those companies simply can't survive without seeing three, four, five, six months. Which at that point is one, unethical, and two, illegal by Medicare standards. I think that it'll be kind of, I think the two can coexist, but I think that the setting in terms of like outpatient being more like a gym look, I mm -hmm. think that's what it's going to look like. And then it may be a hybrid of like cash pay and insurance. Um, but I think that's definitely going to change. And I think it's, it's, it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing too. I think ultimately growth or change, regardless of, of to what medium it is, is ultimately going to be a good thing. Uh, even if it's negative change, negative change tends to yield growth positively at some point in time. You know, I think that uh, especially new grads, when they get into the profession, almost have a bit of a dismal outlook on the future of physical therapy. But I don't think it's nearly as dismal as it could be. And I think that ultimately, PTs like yourself, PTs like my coworkers in settings like the one that I'm working in now and settings like where we worked at PTU, Faramay, are going to be kind of a saving grace of physical therapy because they offer a much higher standard of care and they actually give a damn. They help people. And ultimately, that's what we do. We work and we help people. When it comes to the, let's say their next three to five years, besides wishing for Miami to be relevant in college football in December, January time. What other goals do you have for uh, yourself? <laughs> oh, man. So if you had asked young Ryan, young Ryan, Ryan three years ago, uh, his goals would have been to have his own PT practice. And I can honestly say now that I do not want to own my own PT practice. And it's funny saying that because – that was the plan for like 10, 10 or 12 years. But there's a lot that goes into running a business, man. Like I, I just kind of talked about how hard it is to, to actually organically grow a client base. It's hard. <laughs> it takes a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of client outreach and a lot of marketing and being able to get yourself uncomfortable, put yourself out there and 
Now multiply that plus having business expenses, having to pay rent, having to make sure the lights stay on. Also making sure that the other satellite locations are like, I, I do not envy Katie and Frankie, man. They, and like, look at a guy like Josh Funk. You guys had Josh Funk on. Uh, Josh was still treating, not at a very high level, but he was treating two or three days a week when I was there as a student. And I don't think he treats anymore now unless they've had a new location opening and he needs bodies. It's hard to run a business. And I like being a PT. <laughs> You know, as much as I would like to have my stamp on the profession with my own personal company, I love the company that I work for right now. I love the company that I work for in Bridgewater too. So I think that you can have your stamp and leave your mark without having your name as an owner. You know, now that being said, could there be equity in a company that I would want? Sure. Right. I'm all good with equity. As then that's skin the game. That's skin in the game, and I've never been somebody to shy away from working hard to earn my fair share and to earn my keep. But do I want to be the guy that's responsible for 100% of it? No, I like treating too much. I want to continue to treat. I don't want to have to do closed door business meetings. And actually, that's one of the reasons I never went into a hardcore sales role. I was 10 years old. This is a fun story. I'm sorry, it's a tangent again. Sat in on my dad, uh, on one of my dad's meetings uh, when he was at work. I'm sitting in the corner and he talked for like three hours about nothing. Literally nothing. It was like a roundabout board meeting. Everybody was sitting around the phone. And I think I fell asleep. I don't remember. And I remember at the end of the meeting, he was like, hey, right, how'd, how'd you like that? And I said, I never want to do what you do for work. I never want to do what you do for work. And I never did. I did not go into the insurance company. As a matter of fact... I am actively working against them, <laughs> trying to take their money and put it back into the hands of the people that pay for it. Do you have any advice for um, new grads who are looking to go into like a cash pay model, whether not as a business owner, but like kind of as an employee, what advice would you have for them to be successful? Like building so, their clientele. I actually thought about this, right? And I don't think I would have succeeded in this setting now success is, is you know subjective but i don't think i would have succeeded coming straight out of school i'm really not sure that i would have and i think that you've got to find a setting that offers you the ability to one refine your skills and then two also gain more skills and a greater knowledge base so as far as coming out into the, the cash setting or into the non-insurance-based setting, I think that you have to find a place that makes sense for you because there, there are different demands depending on the setting. Uh, we're very collaborative at Old Bull, and I thank God for that because if there was kind of inbred competition, I don't think I succeed here either. I just told you guys I'm a terrible salesman. <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would be sinking. I wouldn't be swimming. But – having the ability to kind of bounce ideas off of my coworkers, having the ability to talk about, you know, Hey, I'm struggling with this client and this patient and they're what they're not getting better. Hey, do you have any ideas for how I can work on closed chain internal rotation, little things like that? Like that makes a difference because it's, it's collaborative and we're constantly working together to not only kind of make each other whole, but also to make sure that the company continues to grow and that the impact the company has in the community grows. 
right? If you just kind of jump in foot first and I'm going to say it with the mindset of, hey, I can make more money in a cash-based practice, that may be true. It also may not be true, right? It depends on your market and it depends what you're trying to get done. So as far as advice is concerned, make sure that it's something that makes sense for you personally. Because if you jump into the most successful cash-based practice in your area, but it turns out it's cutthroat and they're competing and they're stealing each other's clients, that's not a, that's not a place you want to be in. That's not how you grow. That's not how you, you kind of manifest into a better physical therapist and into a better environment for yourself. Find something that, that allows you the opportunity to become better at what you do. And I remember at Rehab to Perform and at PTU and, and actually at all of my rotations that I had during school, that was the thing that people kept telling me. Don't be the jack of all trades and the master of none. Be good at a few things first, right? Be good at an initial evaluation. And then kind of hit your, all right, phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four, right? Be, be good at that. And then be a good strength coach next. You know what I mean? And I think that's one of the things that I've had to figure out. And that's why I don't think I would have been good in this setting initially. I think that I had to learn how to be a good PT first. And I think that PTU offered me the opportunity to learn how to be a good PT. Now, I don't like calling myself a good PT. I think that's up to my patients, right? I, they would help me decide if I'm a good PT, but they're also the people that would have to call me a good PT. I would never call myself a good PT. Uh, and I think part of that's because I'm constantly trying to be, you know, I don't want to assume I'm good heading towards great. If somebody walked out and was like, damn, that guy sucks. Well, no, then I'm a bad PT. <laughs> I'm a bad PT for that individual. And I've got to work on betting being a better PT when they come back or a better PT for the next person that walks in the door. You know, so give yourself the opportunity to grow. So you kind of messed up my next question because I was going to ask um, if you could take all that you've discussed on today's episode and sum it down to one or two things you want people to take away. What you just said seems like a pretty good takeaway for people to, to take. But do you have anything else that you would want people to take away from this conversation today? Mm. Anything else that I want people to know? I don't know, Fairman, was there anything that I told you as a student that was exceptionally profound? Probably not. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know what I, I always think about um, is when you threw, I think my first week, you threw me into um, something happened and you had to go away and I was with you and I had to, you were like, can you work with this patient? It's my first week. And I didn't know what I was getting into. And you're like, don't be afraid of mistakes. Like, trust what you've learned. Trust, trust your skill set and you'll be all right. And then we'll talk about it after what went good, what went bad. And I think what I learned from that was just to take take the leap and trust in yourself and have the ability to reflect in the moment and after on how you can improve for the next time. So I, I'll, I'll always remember that. <laughs> I was like, bro, this man really trusts me to to have his patient for the first, <laughs> first weekend. And I was like, I, I appreciate it. I really appreciate it. And that's something that I'm not going to forget ever. So let's talk about that then. Let's, let's harp on that point for a second. That's a good one, right? Trust yourself. If you made it to PT school, you got through all the selection criteria, you did well in your interview, you are sitting in class. And you sit in class and you learn what you've got to do. You pass your practicals, you pass your tests, you go ahead and you get into your clinical rotations. 
you do well in your clinical rotations, you make some meaningful connections, you learn how to do certain things you didn't know how to do in school. And then boom, now we're going into your final rotation, right? You're supposed to be what entry level or above entry level on the, what was that called again? That measure the CPI? CPI. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. God, I hated filling that thing out. Right. And you're looking at it and you're, you know, you're sitting there and you got your first like solo eval. Right. And you're bugging out. What am I supposed to do with the solo eval? Relax. Take a deep breath. Trust yourself. You've already made it that far. What are you, two, two and three quarters years in? Relax. You already know the baseline knowledge, assuming you're, you're at entry level for what is required of a physical therapist. Now you just have to put it into practice. And if you've passed all your practicals, you've already put it into practice. And you've made it to your final rotation, you've already put it into practice. What, two, three, four times? Comes down to trust, trust yourself. And that could also be a really good thing to look at. Shoot, maybe I should look a little bit more internally. Maybe I should trust myself a little bit more when it comes to the art of the sale, when it comes to being in the setting and being a better physical therapist and working towards that. Right. Maybe I should listen to my own advice, Fairman. How about that? That's a novel concept. But trust yourself. And then I think the other thing that uh, I would tell people is to uh, be genuine and to be empathetic because that is one of the ways that me personally, I have found, uh, has allowed me to connect with a lot of my uh, patients across the cultural spectrum, across the geographic spectrum. Uh, if you're yourself and if you're genuinely, you know, you care about that individual and you have a little bit of yourself to give in that moment, give it, be vulnerable with your clients. Uh, I had a couple of really cool experiences recently. My dad just passed and I keep talking about my dad, my dad passed, uh, shoot, August 28th. And I've had a couple of clientele that that reached out to me uh, via letters, and I've had people at Old Bolt that have come up to me and, and have talked about their own experiences with their parents passing or with their parents being sick and stuff like that. And those people have kind of grown into almost more than a patient, you know, and that's community. That's what that is. That's community. Having the ability to kind of connect at a very personal level like that. And that also fosters a lot of trust. So if you have the ability to be vulnerable and be empathetic and be genuine with your patients and with your clientele, you're going to foster a lot of trust, which will only help that patient practitioner relationship. So trust yourself, be empathetic, genuine, all the good things. And I'm going to say in work to grow and I guess in the context of working to grow, figure out what you need to grow. A lot of times it's getting out of your comfort zone. A lot of times it's being uncomfortable. Um, I think Fairman, I think you and I talked about this back at PTU, right? But the idea of like, I don't ever want to be comfortable where I'm at. And that can sound a bit extremist. Like why, why don't you want to be comfortable? Like I'm very comfortable in this apartment right now, but uh, you know, there are thir certain things that I want to know still. There are certain things that I want to be better at. There are certain things that I still want to experience, right? So I guess being able to understand what I need in order to achieve those goals, you know, being uncomfortable, putting myself out there, 
experiencing just different aspects of life will ultimately kind of yield the results that we're all looking for. Bless. And you said before we uh before we started recording, are you regretting your decision to bring me on the pod? Nah. This is this is this was a good one. This is a good I one. It, Murphy. <laughs> Dude, I like, listen. I can talk about anything. If you want to talk about global relations in Ukraine right now, I could have talked about that for an hour. Like, I don't, I don't know. And I would have made that up too. I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> Man, I just hope that I didn't ramble. Did I ramble a lot? I have no idea. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm answering questions out here, and words are just coming out of my mouth. Bro, get this. Hold on a second. This is gonna be a good one. I use the words oxidative phosphorylation when talking with a client the other day. No bullshit. No bullshit. It was like, I, he had a question. He's like a young kid. He's in high school. He like, he, he's starting to work out. He's got some nagging chest pain, almost like a costal chondritis, kind of like medial pec strain type deal. It was very nonspecific, but ultimately it got better with just kind of some reciprocal inhibition, autogenic work, kind of getting back into some more back back centric exercise and then pushing back into chest and shoulders. And I remember him talking about like energy systems and like, should I, should I be taking creatine? Cause I am. And, and I was like, you know, we started talking about, you know, the different energy systems. Cause I'm also studying for my CSCS right now. So that's very at the forefront of my brain right now. It's prefrontal cortex. I'm here. Okay. Let's talk about phosphocreatine and creatine kinase and the Krebs cycle. And, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, you're never going to hit the point of, you know, like oxidative phosphorylation if you're working for less than 30 seconds. And I was like, what the hell just came out of my mouth? And then my coworker, Mitch, runs up to the front and looks at Audrey and goes like, yo, Murph just said oxidative phosphorylation to a 17-year-old kid that hasn't even taken biology yet. And he was he's like busting my balls at, at, during lunch. And I'm like, yo, I don't even know where that came from. I was trying to say aerobic energy systems. Like that was the word that I was searching for. And then oxidative phosphorylation came out of my mouth. I was like, that was embarrassing. And then he was like, what's that? And I was like, oh, fuck. <sighs> I was like, don't worry about it, dude. Just know this 32 ATP made per turn. <laughs> Some bullshit. <laughs> I guess you went back into over explaining. Um, yo. No, but no, guys, it's a problem. Like, it's gotten better, but it's not good shit. <laughs> Ask Faramay. Faramay's heard me say some outlandish shit in the clinic. He's, I'm sure he's got some stories in these ways holding back on right now, trying to make me look good. Are we still recording? Oh, no. <laughs> look, <laughs> look, if people want to talk to you about oxidative, for, oxidative phosphorylation or... Uh, oh, boy, where can people, where can people find you? Oh, man, are you looking for the socials? Hold on a second. I don't even know my old handles, dude. I'm going to pull up Instagram oh, real on, quick. Man. This, this, come on, man. Hey, I was not told to prepare. This was not for the email. <laughs> All right. So my Instagram handle, at least my professional handle, is Dr. Murph DPT on Instagram. On Twitter, please pause while I pull up my Twitter real quick. I am... At Ryan underscore Murphy 44. And then I don't use Snapchat. Don't hit me up on Snapchat. All right. Y'all heard the man. Instagram, Twitter. Oh, and then actually, if you want to shoot me an email, you can always shoot me an email at Murph at oldbullathletics.com. I answer those two usually within about 24 hours. 
perfect for anyone in the Pinecrest area or Coral Gables area and need to South Florida in general have bro. anything broaden broad my horizon yeah, South, South Florida in general my bad all right South Florida in general if you need help go check out the Oboe crew they took they'll take good care of you we'd love to have you all right all right we'll catch you on the next episode hey thank you guys so much for having me this was a pleasure I'm super happy that I got to be here tonight of course, <laughs> of course, of course. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the KMAG Audio Experience. Make sure to subscribe, give us a five star rating and review, and we'll catch you in the next episode.